Have you ever thought about buying a franchise? Have you ever thought about what happens once you contact someone at the franchise headquarters? You see, even if you have the capital, the experience, and the desire, you're not necessarily a shoe-in to own the business. Most franchise brands have built a recruitment process for people like you who have interest in buying into their system. I'm Aaron Carpenter. In this episode, I talk with Dan Durney of FranMaster, a seasoned expert in franchise development, about what you might expect the moment you begin your inquiry into buying a franchise business. If you've come up with that uh, system and that, uh, that's your baby, and uh, who you're going to let represent that um, you need to be very particular about. So you don't want to just put that out there with anybody that's going to change the brand or, or start, you know, offering, selling cars out of the front lot, you know, when you're trying to be a coffee shop. So what steps do these franchisors take during the sales process to make sure that they find the right people to represent their franchise brand? Let's hear what Dan has to say. Are you a woman who's considered investing in a franchise or running one yourself? Are you searching for honest information to help you make the best decision for your future? Have you ever worried about whether the information you're finding has your best interests in mind? We're here to help. Welcome to Franchise Rising. I'm your host, Aaron Carpenter. Let's get going. Welcome to the Franchise Rising podcast. This is the show where experts, franchisees, and franchisors share stories, strategies, and expert advice for women who want to own or invest in a franchise. The information on the show is not intended as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a franchise and is for information purposes only. On today's show, I'll be joined by Dan Durney of FranMaster. Dan is the owner of FranMaster and an outsourced franchise development comp- and coaching company for emerging franchisors. So on today's show, we're going to talk about what to expect in the sales process with a franchisor. So if you're considering buying a franchise or investing in one, the, the process involved in buying a franchise is it's actually a lot different than what it means to buy another product or a service. And, and Dan brings a lot of expertise to the field, and we're going to dive deep so that you know what to expect. Let's go ahead and transition to today, today's guest, Dan. <laughs> Hi, Aaron. Welcome to the show, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. All right, Dan. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, well, from a franchising standpoint, uh, I've been in franchising for coming on 15 years now. Uh, started off in Arizona, um, was involved in the launch of a, a brand most people are familiar with called Massage Envy. They were six months into the process and uh, engaged them as a client to uh, work with them to help launch that brand. Um, we did that through regional development, which we uh, may talk about a little bit later or on another <laughs> show. And uh, so over the years, I've been able to work with a, a number of emerging franchise brands. And it's exciting to see uh, new concepts come out and see the owners of those concepts, see their brands uh, develop and bring aboard the right kind of uh, people that uh, match up well with that franchise or from a culture standpoint, financial, et cetera. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little and break this down really, really simply. Okay. 
What is emerging brands? What on earth does that mean? <laughs> so an emerging brand uh, varies slightly by uh, definition, but typically anything under uh, even 10 units uh, open okay. would be considered an emerging brand. Some consider all the way up to 50 or 100 as an emerging brand. Mm. Very few actually ever hit that uh, number, very small percentage. But uh, typically it, it can be something that maybe has been around a while as an independently run business, but only recently has become a franchise and is offering their uh, system uh, as a franchise opportunity. That would make them an emerging brand. Okay. All right. Thank you. And then system concept. This is a word that I hear tossed around a lot in the franchise space. Can you just touch on that? Sure. Well, basically, uh, franchising is a way to duplicate a series of processes, whether it's marketing, operations, etc. Um, so if you wanted to own, open a, uh, you have a coffee shop and you want to open more of those uh, in, with that same name, you know, Aaron's uh, Coffee, mm. then um, you either can, if you have the funds, you open them yourself, such as the bulk of it is done through uh, Starbucks that way, or you can put a system together where you have a, a operating processes, you have an operations manual, we have marketing uh, initiatives that are put together, et cetera, and a way to run that business so that someone who doesn't even have any experience in the coffee business could potentially step in, uh, go through your information, and be able to uh, open a new Aaron's Coffee Shop. And okay. you do that through franchising. Or some do it through licensing, but that's a whole nother a whole nother topic for another show. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that that helps. And and so when we talk about concept, it's something that's packaged, something that's mm-hmm. that's been pre-formulated by someone, tried and true, proven, hopefully, which makes it a little bit easier in theory to step into, in theory. In theory. And then starting from scratch. And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about this show. Yeah. And that presents a nice segue, I think, to this this whole idea of the sales process. Because we're talking about this benefit of buying into something that's packaged and great and ready for you and that's so compelling. And one of the things a lot of us who are new to the idea of buying this kind of business don't may not think about is it does just because you like the business doesn't mean that you're a shoe in to buy it, right? Correct. This is not and you know, Dan and I, Dan and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and you're gonna see Dan all over Franchise Rising already, just sharing. <laughs> Tons of expertise. And we, we had a conversation in prefer, uh, preparation for this show last week about this sales process. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Aaron, what you have to understand, this is not just about selling a, a franchise or buying one. It, it's, there's a reason why they call it awarding a franchise. Well, definitely right? there's, a, there's a process. And even going back to using the example about Aaron's Coffee, you know, if you've come up with that uh, system and that, uh, that's your baby, and uh, who you're going to let represent that um, you need to be very particular about. So you don't want to just put that out there with anybody that's going to change the brand or, or start, you know, offering, selling cars out of the front lot, you know, when you're trying to be a coffee shop. So it, it, being selective about who you bring aboard is, a, is an awarding process and the licenses and the franchise agreements that's all about awarding these to the right kind of people that will work together with you to build that brand. It's their own business that they operate under your system and marks, but it's helping to foster and promote that brand. That makes sense. And for anyone who knows me well and my coffee drinking habits, 
they know that I would not accept anyone opening opening a shop under my name who would make a cappuccino with lots of foam on top. <laughs> I like more the flat white style of cappuccino, and the froth has to be velvety and folded in. And okay, <laughs> so if anyone wants to go off the rails and do it differently, then that that could be a problem. I want to make sure someone who really understands my vision for that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so okay, all right, good to know. Let's talk about this sales process. So I'm interested, let's say I'm interested in buying an Aaron's coffee shop. What happens? Do I fill out a form on the website? What can I expect this franchisor to present me along the way? Because it's about more than just picking up the phone and calling a salesperson and saying, hey, let's bring my lawyer to the meeting. Let's, let's do a deal and buy right. it. Right? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So there's not- a yeah. There's a difference between buying an existing business that uh, has been operating, uh, as accountants would call it, a going concern, um, versus acquiring a license to then open a new location, and that's traditionally what we're talking about now versus taking over something that's already been up and running. Depending on which brand you talk with, they may have uh, um, many more steps than this, but I break it down pretty much into four. Uh, steps. And the first step is qualification. Um, You would have an initial conversation, although a lot of qualification these days now compared to when I started uh, happens online, um, that many people do a lot of research prior to investigating or getting on the phone with anybody to discuss a brand. So a lot of research is done, uh, including these days social media reviews uh, from any locations that are open, etc., But the the first part is is called qualification. And that's where there's an initial conversation about the franchise. Every franchise typically has a, a requirement, a financial requirement of how much liquid capital you need to have available and net worth. And we can talk briefly about those two, but we'll just let those two terms stand on their own right now. Um, so a franchisor is going to need to make sure, much like if you were buying a home, that you're financially qualified. You'd have enough of a down payment and that you make enough to be able to uh, make the monthly payment on the mortgage. Same thing with the business. So there's a qualification from the financial side of things. So you'll be asked questions about that uh, very thing in frame of reference to what it costs to open a new location. And the franchisor will have certain requirements of disclosure, which we'll talk about in a minute, as to what it costs, a, a range of what it costs to open a new location. And just need to make sure that that's a, a fit. We, we never want to have someone uh, get involved in a business using their last dime because there will be a lot of desperation. And frankly, whether it's a franchise business or a non-franchise business, the number one reason for failure is undercapitalization and uh, not having enough operating capital to uh, ramp up until the business is cash flow positive. So that's the qualification phase. And that will include filling out typically an application uh, with the franchise or um, if you're working with a uh, franchise consultant, coach, or broker, they may have you fill out a uh, a form as well, which may include some other personality type of uh, questions as well, you know, goals that you're trying to achieve, et cetera. Where do I find this form that I'm filling out? Uh, some franchisors will have a short version of it on their website. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, in uh, our case, after we have a conversation, we will typically send that out. Or when the inquiry initially comes in, we would typically send that out. But I'm not opposed to having a conversation first before that gets completed. Yeah, because I, I know a lot of people like myself. I don't feel very comfortable filling mm-hmm. out a form online, especially initially when I'm just 
you know, I'm when I am just kicking the tires. Sure. And of course, that's probably what they don't want the tire kickers. But even in the beginning stages, that's sensitive information. I I don't want to drop my name, email address, and income into some form that goes to who knows where and who knows right. who. That's <laughs> you know. So how accurate do you find those? Well, it varies on the source. It depends on where you were looking or where you found Aaron's coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so if you found it on some sites, that's uh, pretty much all you get. If it's a third-party site that maybe had an advertisement, what we refer to as a portal, uh, that had an advertisement about your brand, uh, they usually have their own form. And then those, the information from those forms uh, is sent to the franchisor to then um, follow up with that inquiry. So Usually you would get a full-blown application from the person that represents the franchisor. Okay. So it sounds like the qualification stage is really mostly about finances. Uh, that's actually that just part of it. A lot oh. of it also has to do with finding out what I refer to as the why. Uh, you know, why do you want to own an Aaron's uh, Coffee? Are you a customer of it? Um, are you looking to exit corporate America? Are you looking to buy a job for yourself? Not that that's a bad thing. You may prefer to work for yourself than your current boss. Are you looking to get something for your spouse? We've had that happen. Or even for your kids. Uh, you may be closer to retirement age. Your kids are just coming out of college and looking for maybe a business for them to get into. So we really want to find out what the reason is uh, behind uh, the interest in the brand itself. And for that matter, even looking at uh, any kind of franchises. And I always ask, you know, if are you looking at anything else and what it is you're looking at to try to get a feel for uh, kind of the reasoning behind uh, the inquiry in the first place. So as a prospective franchisee, should I prepare for this? How do I know what they're looking for? I mean, I'm thinking about a job interview kind of situation with this and how I prepare for a job interview. And, you know, you really know you should just be authentic because at the end of the day, tell them what's true right? because that's going to pan out for you in the end. No, go ahead. Uh, treating it as a job interview is actually, there's a lot of similarities uh, to that. You typically would do some research about the company. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to approach a franchisor with interest about it and then you just say, tell me what it's about, that tells me that the person hasn't really done any kind of uh, background uh, research. Now, that's not to say you don't want to hear how it's positioned, but to at least maybe uh, when you get asked to uh, share what your interest is that shows that there's been some uh, initial inquiries. And some of the brands I work with, they've gone into the store. Um, they're familiar. Uh, a franchise we recently awarded was to a customer that had been a long-time 10-year customer of the uh, brand, and the brand is now just franchising. And now they are a franchisee and just finished their training, in fact, last week. I bet that happens a lot. Uh, more times than uh, you would yeah. think. A, lo a lot of uh, growth comes from, well, in fact, a lot of times the uh, initial franchisees came from uh, Massage Envy for customers of the brand. Right. Okay. So what as a franchisor typically will um, cause the franchisor to move that candidate to the next stage, which is, which I'm sure you're about to talk about. Um, <laughs> what's the next stage? What would cause a franchisor to move the franchisee to the next stage or not? So um, basically, if, as long as there's a minimal financial qualification that the franchisor feels comfortable that the reasons why the person is moving forward seem to maybe match up with what the franchisor believes uh, can happen. I mean, if someone had, you know, hey, I need to replace tomorrow a 300K income, Many times that's not realistic and I, and I want to uh, do a, uh, you know, a handyman uh, business right out of the gate and I have no experience. 
you know, that's not a realistic match for what the person is trying to accomplish. So that's, again, what the reasoning for try to have those kinds of conversations um, about the why and their background. But assuming those things, at least on the surface, match up, then once we get a completed application, then we would send uh, a document out. The second step is called the disclosure. Uh, and there's a document called the FDD, Franchise Disclosure Document. It's a 200-page legal document, no fun to read, but it does uh, include all of the uh, FTC-mandated uh, required disclosures about the franchise, including business experience, if there's any litigation or bankruptcy. Items five, there's 23 items, items five, six, and seven talk about the expenses, the, or the, in, uh, excuse me, the investment, the fees, et cetera. Um, goes on to talk about training, approved purchases, all the di required disclosures that are uh, necessary, including a sample of the franchise agreement that would be signed uh, should someone decide to move forward. So that would be uh, the disclosure as the next step to begin reviewing that information. Okay, so items which are kind of like sections. Like sections. Like, yeah, sections, like section. if you will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And can I, who, who should I have with me reviewing this document? Who would you recommend? <laughs> so what day? I tell people to do is, whether they've had experience reading agreements like this or not, is to sit down with a sticky note, highlighter, sticky notes, highlighter, and a strong beverage. And um, uh, I also tell people the FDD is uh, really good for two things. That's uh, curing insomnia and propping up wobbly tables. But uh, once they go through that, then uh, I would have an FDD review call with them to go through questions that jump out at them. And there will be questions, for example, why can't, this most popular question is, well, why can't I do this if I want to? Or why can't I do that? Um, and that's typically revolves around restrictions of what the franchise or franchisee can and can't uh, sell or offer. And what I tell people is sometimes you have to put your franchise or hat on. And you've got to say, okay, if this was my baby, would I want people doing such and such what I'm asking to be able to do? Now, to say that there has been innovation from amongst the ranks of the franchisees in uh, major brands would be an understatement. I mean, the Egg McMuffin and Big Mac, you know, a lot of those types of things came from franchisees. Uh, and so there's a lot of innovation from that standpoint. But right out of the gate, you need to be reviewing it to understand why there's uh, restrictions. And, and I tell people the tighter the agreement, the better it is for the whole system to keep it on point and on, on focus for the brand. Then to get to the other question, and maybe you don't do this right away, but as you go further along in the process, um, we definitely recommend that a franchise attorney um, help review the uh, franchise agreement because they can help clarify from a risk standpoint, you know, okay, the franchisor is requiring this, this is what that could mean if it goes south, et cetera. So using a franchise attorney to help understand uh, some of the terms that they may not after we do an FDD review. Okay. So after you do the FDD review. Sure. Now, when reviewing this FDD, I heard you say it outlines expenses. I know about the item 19, which mm -hmm. is where there are statements about, and correct me, if I'm wrong about how I'm explaining this, about the financials from experience from previous franchisees. Correct. correct. Okay. Well, not necessarily. No. So in an emerging brand, let's say they don't have any franchisees open yet, or they haven't been open long enough to be able to um, disclose some of those numbers that you may see in an item 19, which by the way is called the financial performance 
representation used to be known as an earnings claim. And the basic idea of that is to help answer the question, how much can I make in this franchise? Which is a valid question. Well, the FTC regulates franchising, makes it a little bit difficult uh, to answer that straight up because we cannot make any earnings claims like here's what you're going to make. But from a historical standpoint, the item 19 is designed to provide a glimpse into what a, quote, representative franchise in a similar market uh, has done in the past and that someone could potentially see themselves in duplicating that, you know, those numbers. But it's by no means any, there's, you know, disclaimer language wrapped all around it. You know, your results may vary, your mileage may vary, as they say. But an item 19 can give a glimpse into maybe gross revenues. Some item 19s are very detailed. They get into cost of goods, labor, rent, and break it all down um, to the nth degree. And some just give uh, gross revenues. So the franchisor has the right to um, uh, decide uh, how they want to present those numbers. Dan, can I take those numbers in theory and plug them into my own spreadsheet and use them as a ballpark figure? Results may vary. I, I get it. But at, at the end of the day, we're in this too, for many reasons, one of which is to earn revenue at some yes. point, right? And we have um, to make some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of estimate decision based on that. So... So that segues well into the third step, actually. Um, people should be, perf- uh, candidates should be putting together a pro forma, um, which is a sample spreadsheet of how they feel, you know, if they were able to duplicate what's been done either from corporate locations and or from franchise locations in their market, assuming they're similar markets, um, what they should be able to do and what that would look like uh, from a financial perspective, you know, what profits they could make, how long it may take them to ramp up, et cetera. So that typically is done um, from a combination of looking at the item 19 and then also from doing the next stage, which is called uh, validation. And that is where you would talk to existing franchisees, again, assuming there are any, and sometimes emerging brand, you don't have this option, um, but talking to existing franchisees to find out what their experience has been not only financial, which of course you want to avoid being too invasive um, in your questions like, oh, how much did you make uh, on your taxes last year? Just send me your tax return. You know, that's too detailed, but uh, maybe asking questions um, along the lines of, um, you know, how long did it take you to get cash flow positive? Um, were there any unexpected expenses? Um, my favorite question is, uh, would you do it again? <laughs> um, but being able, from a, just from a financial standpoint, being able to help validate some of the numbers that are presented in the FDD and from the franchisor's representative um, through the validation phase. Okay, so you put together a pro forma out of the FDD. Mm-hmm. And with that pro forma, you validate it, which is the term for um, the idea that you check with franchi- existing franchisees and you mm-hmm. have the opportunity to, to ask real people operating real, cons- real uh, individual units how they're doing, what they're doing. Right. And ask them questions. So that's that's called validation. Correct. Can't I just give them a call before we get to this step three and you know run around to all the various massage envies and call <laughs> up the owner and say, hey, how do you like this franchise? Well, some uh, franchisors try to control the validation process and I use control in quotes. So what a franchisor cannot do something called steering and that is, well, I only want you to talk to these 
four or five franchisees because they're doing really well. Uh, that's illegal. You cannot do uh, steering. So when they are presented the, the FDD, all franchisees that are in the system, plus all who have left, if there are any, or transferred out over the previous 12 months are also uh, disclosed in the disclosure document. So you can talk to any of them. The most effective way to validate is once you understand what the brand is about. And so that's why you do that after you have um, had your initial call, you receive the FDD. So you have, so you're not just calling someone up, someone up that's a franchisee and is saying, so tell me what this is about. How do you like it? it? They've done some homework first to maximize the time and to be considerate. And again, if you flip this around, if you were a franchisee already and you had someone calling you up that hadn't done their homework, you're going to say, you know what? Why don't you do a little homework first and understand what this is about? And then I'll be glad to share my experience with you. Yeah, that makes sense. We're all busy. Right. To respect their time. Yep. I mean, if, if I were looking to buy an Aaron's coffee shop, I would be, I would have my boots on the ground, I think, and I'd be standing outside of the shop morning, noon, and night and, you know, checking to see how many people are coming in and out. Yeah, I would be yeah. reading Yelp reviews. I would be listening to the customers and overhearing conversations about what they like, what they don't like. Totally. I mean, That's a, those are all great ideas. We do have people that camp out at uh, stores and do customer counts and things like that. That's a. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big oh, investment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as a, so as a franchisee, when you're entering into, if you do end up buying a, a franchise, you pretty much agree to be in the system to participate in the validation process. Is correct. That, is that correct? That's, that's okay. correct. Uh-huh. Okay. So we have qualification disclosure. By the way, with disclosure, I, I don't want to go back too far, but can I obtain that information before that step in the sales process? Um, yes, actually, if you go onto the uh, California uh, website, california.gov, it's under the business oversight. If they are, again, we're just speaking California, but if they're registered, if the franchisor is registered in the state, um, that is that FDD that's uh, submitted uh, becomes a uh, public document and it's searchable and you can find it online. Oh, good. Um, but if you were... If you are in another state and they're not registered, and we can talk about that briefly if you want to, um, but if they're not registered in that state, uh, unless you got the FDD from California, even then it might have different, a slightly different terms. So let's just talk about that real briefly. So, yeah, let's do that because we have listeners all yeah, over the world for sure. that matter. So in the U.S., there are 14 what's known as registration states out of the 50 states. Uh, some have more stringent um, registration requirements and the others. And there's also a couple of notification states, which include Florida and Texas, um, Utah, Nebraska, a couple of those. <clears throat> but a registration state typically is where you submit the, the FDD for them to review. They will review it against um, their state laws. <clears throat> for example, if one state says that if you want to arbitrate and your company is based in Arizona, but you want to arbitrate uh, required in Arizona, California may say, no, 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 no. If you want to offer franchises here in California, you have to be willing to arbitrate in California. It's, it's protection for the residents of the different states. And so if you agree to that, then you make a change uh, in the FDD in a, in a state-specific uh, addendum <clears throat> that's included then in the FDD that uh, makes that change for that particular state. Um, if you live in a state where um, the franchisor is not registered, 
uh, let's say you lived in Minnesota and the state was not, and the <clears throat> franchisor is not registered in Minnesota, cannot send you an FDD until it is registered in that state. Can they uh, talk to me? <clears throat> you can uh, talk briefly, but not uh, any kind of uh, detailed discussions, anything about territory or whatever. So it's a much more limited, much more limited uh, conversation. Um, pretty much you'd have to say if, you know, you could submit an application and if you're interested when we're registered, we'll get back with you. But there would be limitations if you're in a registration state and the franchisor is not registered there. Hmm. So if I'm a prospective franchisee, should I be concerned if a franchisor is not registered in other states? You know, I mean, I'm thinking about the overall, ex should I be considering about considering the overall growth and extension of the brand? Because I'm, you know, I'm folding into a bigger system, potentially. Um, not necessarily, if especially an emerging brand is not going to right out of the gate uh, register. If let's say they're based here in uh, California or in Arizona, they're not necessarily going to register in Maryland and Virginia because they're going to want to try to build concentrically, typically out from where they're based. Um, so they're not going to go through that process and the and the uh, time and expense to be registered in uh, in those states that are far away from them. So that's not necessarily a negative. Okay. And, and if it's an emerging brand, what do I do if they don't have any franchisees with whom to validate? Well, that's, that's where... That's your sweet spot right now. That's okay, where right? it comes into play with finding the people. There, there are a couple types of people. There are those that want to step onto a rolling bandwagon already going down the road with uh, tons of locations. Um, and that person, you know, is not a trailblazer. And that's okay. They want to step into something that's already rolling down the road. Um, there are other people who love the idea of being involved with a franchise at its genesis uh, at the very beginning, possibly even being able to help uh, mold some of the um, uh, direction. Um, and so I just got off the phone the other uh, Friday with a couple, and both of them said, we are super excited that this is brand new because we want to be involved with it at the beginning. So uh, it, it, different strokes. <laughs> Can I make a, it, it sounds a lot like startup mentality. If, mm -hmm. you were, if you were to enter as a, well, I, I understand this is not an employee situation, right. but if we were to enter a company that's a startup versus a company that's massive with a lot of employees, yes. pretty much you plug in and, you know, just jump, plug yeah. into the system. That's, and, again, very similar to uh, job uh, uh, searching. Great. Okay. That helps. So we have qualification, disclosure, validation, and you mentioned there, there's a fourth. Discovery day. Discovery day. Discovery day is Who makes where, it to discovery day? Um, I don't know what the statistics are. I would say uh, someone who makes it to discovery day should be about 85% convinced that they are going to go ahead and do this. Uh, they have typically, now I mentioned there are other steps in between. So for example, there's typically a call with the franchisor. Um, if in the case where I work uh, uh, in behalf of the franchisor, so we would introduce them to the people that would actually be approving them. Um, and there may be some other steps. May, they may go on some more educational webinars, et cetera. But ultimately, if they're, they're prepared and have gone through all of that pre-discovery uh, day education, they come out to actually visit the corporate office. They meet the executive team. They meet the support team. Sometimes an emerging brand, those are the same people. <laughs> um, you uh, get a chance to visit locations um, if there aren't any in your market. And it's an opportunity for the franchisor and the franchise candidate to basically meet and see if they're going to be singing Kumbaya.
and uh, singing from the same page. And there have been instances where um, franchise candidates have gone out to meet with a franchisor and uh, the operations people have met with them and they go back to the executive team after the discovery day is over when they're discussing the client or candidates that have come out for discovery day and operations would say, this is not going to be a good idea. We do not want to support this person <laughs> because they're going to be a huge pain. Um, and uh, so sometimes, and that's can be another topic of conversation about, uh, you know, what to do and not to do on a discovery day, but it's an opportunity basically for everybody to meet each other and decide if they want to continue forward. Um, if everybody likes each other and the franchisor agrees to license um, a uh, franchise to the candidate, then after that, it's just kind of foregone conclusion. You put the agreements together, um, determine the territory, and then those agreements are sent to the franchise candidate. You have time to review those agreements, and then uh, you sign the agreement, wire the funds, and, you're, uh, and then the onboarding process starts. But those are the four steps leading up to becoming a franchisee is the qualification, disclosure, validation, and discovery day. Who incurs the costs of discovery day and traveling there, lodging, especially if they say, huh, we don't want you? Great question. Um, I would say most franchisors uh, put that burden on the uh, franchisee candidate um, to come out uh, there are some that do pop for that. Um, they may have some other um, qualifications that they feel more comfortable in doing that, <clears throat> but otherwise the, most franchisors are not in the business about paying for vacations for people to come out and visit their franchise. Yeah, um, I have seen some that have reimbursed it. Um, if that person decides to move forward as a franchisee, I've seen those, uh, sometimes those expenses reimbursed. It's a nice gesture. Mm-hmm. Okay, so thanks for the for running us through those four different steps. Um, let's talk about the people who are handling this sales process, such as yourself, Dan. Okay. So Dan, you're an outsourced franchise development company, a consultant. So you represent different emerging brands, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking, uh, you know, the brands have a choice. They have someone either in house, right, right. At, at some stage, who's in sales, in development. Mm -hmm. If they're smaller, typically they bring on someone like you. Correct. Are there any other scenarios that we see? Well, it's either in uh, it's either in house, uh, like you mentioned. The difference is some franchisors, uh, and let's use an example: Aaron's Coffee uh, franchise starts up as a coffee house. They decide to franchise. Their brother-in-law sells cars. They say, "Hey, why don't you come on over and help us sell franch franchises?" <laughs> Not being aware of the disclosure laws, et cetera, and so. They can kind of get themselves sideways, and I've seen it happen. I've worked with clients that uh, had people initially in-house that were not, you know, they weren't certified CFEs, certified franchise executives, didn't really know the compliance rules for what they could and couldn't disclose, um, and just uh, struggled from that standpoint. Um, so, but you, in some cases, you have uh, people who do have good franchise experience in-house, um, and they can help uh, with the development, making sure that the processes are uh, followed as they should be. Um, in my particular case, um, I work with uh, brands that um, are looking to focus on their development, their R&D, and supporting the franchisees that they bring in, and they look to uh, outsource the uh, candidate vetting and taking them through this whole process. But they all get introduced to the franchise or 
Um, mm-hmm. They all go out to Discovery Day and meet everybody, and the franchisor uh, maintains the uh, the right to bring on who they want to bring on. So what, what brands are you representing right now? So I work with a brand called Ben's Marketplace. Uh, they are a, a health food uh, store for dogs and cats. Um, they're based up in the Sacramento area, Roseville. Um, and uh, we just brought on the first franchisee uh, there. Um, and, then, and that's the one that was a customer for uh, many years. Um, uh, I'm actually a partner in a brand called Kix Mobile, which is a very emerging brand um, in the uh, mobile uh, phone sales, uh, buy, tra- sell, and trade of uh, phones, uh, mobile phones, uh, based in a uh, corporate office in Orlando. Um, I'm working with a company called Ortho Now, which is an orthopedic urgent care uh, franchise out of Miami. Um, so there's specialized uh, orthopedic urgent care. Um, I work with uh, Hapa Yoga and Fitness, which is uh, right here in San Diego, and they have two corporate locations. And um, we're about to sign the first franchisee uh, in a couple of weeks here. And uh, also work with a brand out of uh, Houston called Smart Drinks and Nutrition, uh, which is they have a retail store and they have a mobile truck. Uh, retail store is kind of like a Jamba Juice dropped inside of a GNC because they sell supplements as well as smoothies and coffee. And then their mobile truck uh, goes to events selling uh, smoothies and coffee, uh, things like um, car auctions and dealers and birthday parties and those kinds of things. That's what I'm working with right now. Wow, that's quite a portfolio. <laughs> How on earth do you keep, uh, you know, keep keep a pulse on on what these brands are doing, what they're about, so that you can really represent them well to the candidates. I mean, I've heard some stories of, of people who are interested in a brand and going, they've gone through the sales process and the, and the, and I'm sure that this is definitely not you, but the development person wasn't particularly helpful in really helping them shine the light on that brand. So it's, it, it must be hard to keep track of. <laughs> well, uh, Back in my history when I was in IT, I worked for Egghead Software, which some of your younger viewers probably have never even heard of. It was back to 1987. Oh, that's even before Prodigy, huh? It was right around the time of Prodigy. I had a Prodigy <laughs> account. I can't believe you even know about that. And, um, uh, and so we had, you know, thousands of SKUs. So for me, it's not that difficult to keep track of five uh, brands. And at the end of the day, the process is still the same. What is the person trying to achieve? Is this a match uh, at a high level to begin the conversations? Is it a match at a high level for what the franchisor is trying to accomplish, who they're looking for, and is this person a match for that particular brand at this stage of development? So as I mentioned before, some people are not trailblazers. They don't want to be, and you you drew the same um, corollary to uh, working for a startup versus an established company. So some people that will come into a system at the beginning uh, are very different from the people that will come in later on once it's uh, more developed. So it's interesting to see how that um, transpires and and the the type of candidate changes. But at the end of the day, it's not that hard to, as long as you're asking those questions and listening as to what the person's trying to accomplish and is this the right vehicle? I, I consider each of these vehicles for the candidate to get to where they want to go next. Hapa Yoga is, has a very different type of uh, candidate that we're looking for. Um, there's even a requirement of the owner or operator uh, to have 200 hours of, uh, of yoga uh, teacher training. 
and that may, or their, or at least the manager that runs it. So that type of person may be someone very different that wants to uh, drive a truck around and sell smoothies and coffee at a uh, car auction. Different kind of people. So, yeah. I mean, this is so new. I mean, for so many people who are looking to buy a brand new concept or to get out of the corporate world, and, and mm-hmm. it's there's there's so much to learn and you know, about what kind of brand and this whole idea of about an emerging brand versus someone that's been around for a long time. It's, it's more, it's more than just buying something that you've loved as a customer. It's more, it, it's about oh, a lot more than that. Definitely. You may love to go to a restaurant, but let me tell you what, running a restaurant, so many moving parts. Yeah. Um, or you may have had a great experience um, uh, at an ortho now, but you need to understand the, the uh, healthcare industry is a lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, things vary by state greatly um, that may make that a very difficult business for you to run based on your skills. Um, good questions that uh, a lot of brokers uh, and myself ask are, you know, what kind of employees do you want to have? Do you want to have teenagers flipping burgers or do you want to deal with skilled professionals that are uh, specialized labor? Uh, all those, what's your exit strategy? That's the other thing I ask right out of the beginning. What's your exit strategy, which may seem a little counterintuitive to ask, okay, how do you want to get out of this? You're not even into it yet. Um, but that can really help. Um, cause if you, most of the time, if you want to sell a business, uh, you usually have more value if you have employees associated with it. So if you're looking to get into a coaching business where you're pretty much the, the primary, um, provider of the services, et cetera, that may be more difficult to sell than if you have something that has employees going concern and it's not all about you. Because it can run without because you. Because it can it's run without you. Without your exactly. Yeah. It's okay. hard to, I mean, how many times have people thought about, oh, I could, maybe I could buy that business, but oh, what's going to happen if the owner leaves, uh, you know, uh, forgetting about non-competes, you know, mm-hmm. if he just leaves or retire, he or she leaves or retires, are the customers going to want to keep coming back? And so if you have a system in place that's do, that's, um, that can continue to operate without uh, the uh, main owner in or the original owner in there, then you've got a sellable business. Yeah. Dan, I think we're going to have to have you back to get into the nitty gritty of, I mean, we, th- this was really helpful going through the structure of the sales process. It's this, these in-between questions that I'd love to have you back to talk about, sure. you know, what to look for, what kinds of questions to ask. You and I have talked about this whole idea of red flags on both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, in, in Discovery Day, you've mentioned what to do, what not to do. So if we could have you back to talk about that, that would be fantastic. Be happy to. And the other thing that needs to be discussed too is financing Yes. Um, at some point. So do you want to talk about that at a, a different time and ways to potentially fund the business? Or that might that. Its own. That might actually even be its own. I think that's going to be podcast. its own episode. So right idea. after this, we're going to be lining you up. So everyone, okay. stay tuned because now we have <laughs> Dan on the hook for two more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, we really appreciate your time. I actually, I always like to end with a few questions. Sure. All right. So first question: What is the best business advice you've ever received? The best business advice I've ever received. Um, I would say to listen more than you speak. I think that's one of the things my dad, I remember vividly that my dad said growing up is one of the best skills to ever learn is, is the ability to listen. Mm-hmm. 
It's a good one. Number two, what would you recommend to someone considering buying a franchise? Do your homework. Just, uh, and the homework is not just about the business that you're looking to get into. It's homework about yourself. You know, you have to be real. Um, I would strongly suggest um, taking a, uh, a Zoracle profile assessment, um, Z-O-R-A-C-L-E. Uh, if you're working with a franchise or business broker, they may uh, have that for you and some franchisors use that as well. But it'll really help you understand how you make business decisions. Um, it's not a silver bullet, but it will give you a good indicator as to what type of uh, franchise uh, at what growth stage you may be a better fit for. That, yeah. That's all included in your homework on you too. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll, we'll include a link to that assessment in the show notes for everyone listening. Okay. All right. All right. I like that. So finally, since most of our audience is women and this is the show for women looking to buy or invest in a franchise, what female franchisees do you know who are crushing it? Female franchisees. Um, well, I know some regional developers uh, for Massage Envy, uh, Tammy Veter, uh out of Chicago. Um, um, wow, didn't uh, see that question coming. That's a good. <laughs> great well, that's question. one. That's good. We'll take that. Okay. Uh, she's done a, a terrific job of uh, developing uh, the region um, out there in, uh, in the Chicago market. Um, wow, you stumped me. That doesn't happen too often. And this guy's a stand-up comedian. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. We'll, we'll be sure to mention Tammy in the show notes and uh, so we can, we can check it out and, and have that role model held up for us. Very good. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. This has really been helpful. And thank you so much for everyone listening. We'll go ahead and uh, include the show notes and everything we talked about for you to reference later. And then we're going to line Dan up for some more episodes. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Aaron. Right. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. I'd like to give a big thanks to Dan Durney for sharing his expertise. If you'd like to read the show notes, you can find them at franchiserising.com slash 10. Next week, we'll be joined by Deb Evans from Deb Evans Consulting to talk about social media in the franchise world. If you'd like to hear that episode, go ahead and hit subscribe and tune in next week. I know that time is one of the precious things you don't get back. And I really appreciate you taking your time to listen to the Franchise Rising podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more, hit subscribe. Or if you don't know how to subscribe, just go to franchiserising.com slash subscribe and we'll guide you to the right place there. Until next time, have a great week.